Will you pray with me as we start? Oh Lord, I thank you that you are merciful and you are mighty. Your power is perfect, your love is perfect, your holiness is perfect. And Lord, you promise to be with us. What a blessing that is. And Lord, I need your help. So I just pray that you would come down this morning and that you would help me and that you would open our eyes to see who you are, that you would just reveal yourself in all of your majesty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you all for being here. Um, our title this morning, you should have a handout. There's a few extra ones up here if you ran out in the back, all right? But my title is, God reveals himself to us here in Exodus 3 as our mighty redeemer who comes down and calls. And when our redeemer calls us, when he comes down and calls, we need to trust in his character and in his name. Webster's Dictionary defines reveal this way. He said it can mean to open up or to view or display. Do you remember the old TV show Extreme Home Makeover where the bus was parked in front of the house and what would they chant? Move that bus, okay? All right, that's one meaning. Number two meaning is to make something secret or hidden known. And I thought about the popularity of baby gender reveal parties that, that couples have these days, right? All right, but the number one meaning that was listed in Webster's, this, this surprised me so much, right? It means to make known through divine inspiration. And that's what Exodus 3 is all about. God reveals himself to us as our mighty redeemer who comes down and calls. Knowing who God is leads us to trust in him and then to obey what he's calling us to do. He is the one who is calling Moses here. He is a covenant-keeping God. Ask yourself, can I trust God even when my plans are frustrated? Even my good plans? Can I trust that God is faithful? Who is God? What is his name? So my prayer is that as we walk through Exodus 3, you will see our mighty God who comes down and calls and that you would trust in his character and in his name. So here we go, Exodus 3.1. This is the opening scene here. It's in Midian, far from Egypt. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now you learned in your lesson this week that the Egyptians despised the shepherds. That's why they were allowed to live way out in Goshen. So Moses, he left Egypt. He was around 40 years old. And do you remember how the sisters at the well recognized him? Did they think he was a Hebrew? They thought he was an Egyptian, right? So he, he arrives in the wilderness looking like an Egyptian, and now here he is. How many years later did you learn this week? 40 years later. So Moses is about 80. And how about the people of Israel? What is going on with them? They're being oppressed, afflicted. They're back in... They're still back in Egypt, right? So, so they're back in Egypt, and Moses is here in the wilderness. And remember Genesis 50. God meant for all this to be happening, right? Okay, this was God's intention. The next slide, we're going to read verses 2 through 6 here. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. 
And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy. Right? You see that? Holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, this is the first time we see the word holy here in Exodus. We're going to see it again at the end of this fall when we get to chapter 15. And that's in a song that Moses writes to praise God. He says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Doesn't that fit well with our sermon from last Sunday? The two-song brought us to Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And that's what we're seeing here in Exodus 3. So what is holiness? Holiness means separate or set apart. God is completely other than us. He's the creator, we're the creature. 1 Samuel 2.2 tells us that there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none like you. There is none besides you. So the burning bush points us to God's holiness. First, Moses encounters here what is called the angel of the Lord. You notice that there. And he speaks as God. (coughs) Scholars think this is a pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ who is meeting Moses in the bush here. Moses met Jesus. And do you remember later in the Gospels, does Jesus meet Moses again? Do you remember? On the Mount of Transfiguration, right, they meet again. Now, there's also the holy fire here. You see this, in a flame of fire. Yahweh's presence is what we see here. And we also see his presence when he leads the Israelites. After they're delivered from Egypt, he leads them by a pillar of fire and a cloud, right? That's the presence of Yahweh. And again, we're going to see it at Sinai when he comes down on the mountain in fire. Now, the Bible also speaks of God's refining fire. Have you heard of that? That's what's going on back in Egypt with the people of Israel. They are experiencing God's refining fire through affliction. They are learning, and they are about to have their eyes wide open to who he is as Redeemer. Now, God is also referred to in the Bible as a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24. He could consume us all. We deserve his judgment, don't we? And yet, what do we get? His mercy. And Egypt is is going to get the fire of God's judgment. Now, God is a God of perfect justice, and he will judge precisely. He's never out of control. He's not like a forest fire. Here he's in this bush, right? And it's not consumed, right? This also points to the self-sufficiency of God and the eternality of God, the fact that this bush is burning and yet it is not consumed. God's glory never fades. It never dims. God never runs out of resources. Now, we also see that God says, he says, the place that you are standing, he says, take off your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The holy ground is where God meets with Moses. It's the presence of God that makes it holy. The ground itself is not holy. 
unlike other religions that have places that you go to a holy, you know, this is your holy place that you go to, but here it's, it's because God is there that, it, that it's holy ground. This idea of taking off your sandals, that's another interesting thing here. That doesn't mean that Moses' feet are holy and he can just you know, take his shoes off and then he'll be holy. That's not the case. Uh, Vodi Bakum said this about this passage. He said, our feet are no more holy than the cow who died to give the piece of leather that is on the bottom of them, <laughs> right? And it's interesting, later on in Exodus, what we're gonna see in the very detailed instructions for the tabernacle and for the garments that the priests would wear, there are no instructions for their footwear. Why? Because they assumed that they wouldn't have shoes on when they would go to meet with God. All right, now, we also see that God speaks here. And this is a very unique kind of speaking that's happening here at the burning bush. God called to him out of the burning bush. He called, and he said, Moses, Moses, right? That's what he says. And you saw in your lesson this week that God has done this before in Scripture. Samuel, Samuel, or Martha, Martha, right? To get our attention. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, he has spoken to us, how? By his son, Jesus, right? And we have God's word. We have this word right here for us that we go to. And he speaks now through that written word. Now, God might lead through other ways. He might lead through other people that talk with us and encourage us and pray with us. He doesn't normally speak to us in a burning bush the way he spoke to Moses, right? If he does give ongoing revelation, then instead of a Bible like this, we should have a three-ring binder like you have for your workbook. Then we could keep adding words of God. But we have God's completed word right here, and that's the way God speaks with us. All right, uh, Exodus 3, 7 through 10. Then the Lord said, and I'm going to circle some eyes here, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, that's past tense, who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. We also see present tense here. I know their sufferings, right? And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. So what is he doing here? He's talking about to deliver them. That is future, isn't it? So we see past present and future here in this passage. He said, I will bring them to this good and broad land, a land full of milk and honey, plus all these other ites that are there, right? And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now you saw a lot of things that the Lord is doing here as you circled the word I. And you know that he works in the past, you know he works now, he works in the future. God is faithful. What does this reveal about the Lord? We've already seen that the Lord is holy. We saw that in the, the last few verses. And we've also seen that he is faithful. He has fulfilled some of his promises already to the people of Israel and he's in the process of fulfilling more. He is always faithful. He never changes. He is also all-knowing. 
He has an intimate knowledge of our lives. He's also compassionate. We see here in verses 7 and 9 that he saw, you see that? He sees the affliction. He's heard their cry. God is compassionate. Like a midwife hears the sound of the baby that has just been born, or a mom that hears her baby crying. And God's timing is always perfect, even if it's hard for us to understand the whys. You remember what God told Abraham about the timing of this. He said they would be 400 years, right? Yeah. So God is also a God who delivers. In verse 8, he says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. It's interesting here that he says, I have come down to what? To bring them up, right? So God is coming down. He's going to bring the people up out of Egypt to a broad place. This is the promised land. They had outgrown the land of Egypt, remember? They came in as 70, and now they're millions. All right, the other thing that we learn about God here is that God sends. He sends Moses on his behalf. He says, I've seen the affliction, but I am going to send you to Pharaoh, that you can bring the people out. And we also learn in these next few verses that God is sufficient for carrying out his plan. God is the one who is enough. God counters all Moses' excuses. There's two of them this week, and there's going to be a few more that we see next week. All right, so God has a good plan. In verse 10, he says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people up out of Egypt. And you remember back in Exodus 2, what had Moses already tried to do? He had seen the affliction of his own people, right? So what did he try to do? Yeah, he was like, I'm ready, let's go. And, uh, you know, he goes out and he, you know, he's ready for action, right? But it didn't work out so well. He failed, and now Moses is here in the wilderness. But we can't be too hard on Moses, right? He, he was inadequate for this task. And I wonder, you know, you think, how would you have responded to the Lord if the Lord came to you and said, I'm going to send you? You know, that, that's a tough one, isn't it? All right, so how does Moses respond? He says to God, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt? All right, but then God says, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses' first excuse is, God, I'm a nobody. You know, and what would our worldly wisdom say that we should do to counsel Moses at this point? Well, Moses, you're, you're a special guy. You know, your mom put you in a, in a basket in the river, and, and, and Yahweh saved you, and you were educated in the, in the palace, and, oh, oh, Moses, you are uniquely gifted to lead the people, right? But God doesn't build him up that way, Right? He doesn't build up Moses' confidence in his own abilities or in his reputation, but he really replies, it's not about you, Moses. It's not about you. It's about me. I want you to know who I am. I will be with you. And so this is not about Moses' competence to lead the people. It's about God doing all the work. And so when our Redeemer comes down and calls who do we trust? We trust in him. We trust in his name. 
and in his character to be with us. So Moses ignores those, those I statements that we saw back here, right? I will do this, I will do this, I have done this, and instead he focuses on himself here. Now he's been a fugitive in the wilderness for 40 years. He's probably a grandpa even at this time, and he's old. That's encouraging to me. God still uses us, us that are older. He's been tending sheep. He has no army, remember, he has no weapons. Um, and he'd likely become a little rusty in his language skills. And so who am I is really a pretty good question. Um, and what is the answer? God says, Moses, you are nobody, right? That's what qualifies you for the job, all right? That's what qualifies us when God calls us, is that we're nobodies as well, all right? Without him, we are nothing. We are only doing what we're doing because of God's spirit in us, abiding in us, all right? So it should be very encouraging that God uses nobodies like Moses and like us for his plans. So why do we struggle with feelings of inadequacy then? Well, fundamentally, it's because we are inadequate, all right? We aren't enough in ourselves, but he is sufficient for everything that we need. And aren't you glad that God's plan didn't depend on Moses' unique competency as a leader? We don't have to look at Moses and say, well, he was something special, he could do it, but I'm nobody and I can't. That's, that, that's, that's where we can level the ground here. Yahweh, the Lord, is the true deliverer, and his answer to Moses explains why he will be successful. And it's not because of who Moses was. It's who God is. So God is really patient here in his answer, isn't he? He assures Moses, Moses, I will be with you. This reminds me of what the Lord said to Joshua back in Joshua 1, verse 5. He says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. This was so encouraging to me when I stepped into this role in women's ministry. I, I felt I was very inadequate for this role. But the pastors encouraged me. They said, as the Lord was with Mary, he'll be with you, Pam. Okay, they used this verse, and it was very encouraging because it's the Lord's presence with us that enables us to do what we do. All right, Isaiah 41.10 is another encouraging verse. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All right? Now, God also gives him a sign. You see this? This shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. All right, now, just maybe Moses was hoping for a more incredible sign, like the burning bush, right? But God doesn't do that. What God gives him is this. He says, after bringing the people out, Moses and the people will serve the Lord on that mountain. So God is saying here, I will do what I say I'm going to do, all right? I am sovereign, and you will know when I keep my promise. But until then, you need to trust me. And that's the essence of what we need to do as well. Do you remember what Hebrews 1 tells us? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? So Isaiah 46.10 also encourages us. God says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 
declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So when our Redeemer comes down and calls us, trust in his character, trust in his name. God has a purpose, and he says what this purpose is here. What's his purpose? You shall serve God on this mountain. So God is not just a deliverer of oppressed people, but he is making himself a people that will serve and worship him. God calls us for his namesake and for his glory. So what distinguishes the people of God? It's those who worship him in spirit and in truth, Jesus said. We are the people who are called out of darkness and into his marvelous light to serve him. And it's interesting, when we get to the end of Exodus, you're going to see where it ends. It doesn't end with his deliverance. It doesn't end with the law in the middle. It ends with worship, where the glory of God comes down. That's where it ends. All right, we're going to move along here. Ex, uh, chapter, or verse 13, okay? Moses has his second excuse here. He had objected first on the ground of his lack of credentials, and now he's showing his lack of knowledge. You know, he's, he's saying essentially, God, I can't just tell them I talked to a shrub that was burning out here. I don't know your name. You know, who are you? So I think it's also interesting that Moses says to God, if I come. Did you notice that? There's really a hesitancy here. You know, he's not like, well, when I go, what should I tell them? But, well, if I go, right? If I go to the people and say to them, you know, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So in the Bible, a name reveals a person's character or nature. Knowing the Lord is really the goal of the rest of Exodus, and it's, it's really a goal of the, of, the, of the broader word of God, the Bible. God wants to be known. He loves to reveal himself, to make himself known to us. So last week we saw Yahweh reveal himself as the God who sees, remembers his covenant, he hears, and he knows, right? And now you realize that he could have come down. He could have just rescued his people out of suffering right then in an instant. He could have set them free. We could have jumped right to chapter 15 where the people are all rejoicing. Yay! We're, we're delivered. But that's not God's plan. He, he could have sent Pharaoh and said, to, you know, tell Pharaoh we're out of here, goodbye. And Pharaoh could have said, all right, goodbye. Right? But he doesn't. God doesn't move in Pharaoh's heart to, to do that as well. They could have skipped the plagues. They could have skipped all of that. But God chose to reveal himself to the people of Israel in this way through all the things that he had planned. All right, let's go to verse 14. Then God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Did you notice the parallel statements here? Okay, God says, I am who I am. He says, I am. But he also says, the Lord, the God of your fathers. What ties those things together? Did you notice this? I am has sent me to you. Do you see that? What does he say down here? The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, have sent me 
to you. You see how those are tied together? I am who I am. I am is the God of their fathers. It's the same God, all right? This name, Yahweh, means the Lord. This is all caps in your Bibles. And the fancy name for this is tetragrammaton. All right, that's a scholar's way of saying that it's got four consonants, no vowels, and it's God's divine name. This follows, um, the, the ancient Jewish custom was that they would not put the vowels in there so that you would not know how to say God's name and you wouldn't then profane his name by speaking it. So instead what they would do is they would say Adonai, which is also Lord that we know in our Bibles with the, the small letters. Do you see that? So when you see Lord with the capital L and small O-R-D, you know that that's Adonai. And Yahweh is the name that is this right here, all caps. All right, that was just an aside. All right, we're going to go to the next section, verse 16 through 18. All right, we're going to notice as we read this also the things that are past and future, okay? So God says to Moses, he says, go. He says, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to me, past, saying, I have observed, past, you, and what has been done to you in Egypt, right, that's all past there. Now he switches, he says, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice, also future. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to our God. So we see here that God is calling Moses. He outlines what he is to do and saying he will equip Moses. And the good news, not only is God going to be with him, but what is he telling him? He's not going to be alone from a human perspective. He also says, he says, gather the elders of Israel together. All right, and what does God promise? He says, they will listen, all right? And the elders will go with you to the king. All right, so Moses is not gonna be all alone as he goes in here. Now, let's go to the next slide because we're running out of time. Of verses 19 through 22, he says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand, and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for your clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. All right. God was going to compel them by his mighty hand. He was going to send all these plagues that would, that would um, propel, you know, the people out of Egypt. Now, just a quick note about this word plunder right here. Throughout the Bible, we see a theme of God delivering his people and then giving them gifts. All right? And this became a practice in the Israelites' time in the law. When someone would sell themselves as a slave to a fellow Hebrew, after seven years, God told them to let them go, but not to let them go empty. He said, when you let them go, 
load them up with stuff and let them go so they can begin their life with extra stuff. And this is really a picture of Jesus. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Now, in Exodus 4, when we meet next time, we're going to see Yahweh and Moses have this ongoing conversation. How do we see Jesus in Exodus 3 as we wrap up? Well, Moses and David were shepherds, and Jesus is our good shepherd. He is the one who lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus also comes down, just like Yahweh came down to bring the people of Israel up, Jesus came down, and we celebrate that at Christmas, don't we? We celebrate that in what's called the incarnation. And we see that in Philippians 2, where Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not consider that something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He came down. He, he became in our likeness, right? Now, Yahweh also called Moses. He also called Israel. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Now, Jesus called his disciples, and when God calls us, it's an effectual calling. 2 Timothy 1.9 said, he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Moses was told, do not come near. But it's through Jesus that we can come near. Romans 3 tells us that no one is righteous, no, not one, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died to give us his holiness so that we can come near. Hebrews 10 tells us we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Then, in Mark uh, 12, Jesus actually quoted this Exodus 3. All right? He was in a debate about the resurrection, and he said, God is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. Now, in verse 6 of Exodus 3, we saw that Moses hid his, his face because he was afraid to look at God. And Colossians 3 tells us that believers have been raised with Christ, and we have been, what? Hidden with Christ in God. We don't need to hide from God because of Jesus. Now, some of you studied the Gospel of John with us a couple of years ago, and so you know that Jesus referred to himself as I am. In fact, in John 8, they wanted to pick up stones because what he said was, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's quite a contrast, isn't it? Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. I'm not going to read through all of these. I'll send them to you this week. But I just wanted to close with promising, Jesus promised, too, that he would be with us. Just as Yahweh promised Moses that he would be with him, Jesus promises that he has all authority and he will be with us. Now, final word about plunder here. This was part of God's plan that he was working out for the people of Israel, that he would fight the battle for them. And a spoiler alert here, the plunder that they took out from Egypt, do you remember they took out the silver and the gold? Ultimately, it would be repurposed. But before it got repurposed for worshiping Yahweh, 
how was it repurposed? Do you remember? Golden calf, in chapter 32. All right, we'll keep that in mind. But Jesus conquered our enemies once and for all. Colossians 2 tells us he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And then Ephesians 4 tells us when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to us. We have a mighty and a merciful redeemer who has revealed himself to us so that we will stand in awe of his holiness and that we would trust him, trust his character and his name, the great I am. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, you are our redeemer. You are the great I am. You are Yahweh who comes down and calls us. God, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. So, Lord, I thank you that you have given your life for us that we might be saved. Thank you for calling us. So I pray that you would help us to trust in your character, to trust in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.